Good morning, everyone. I can picture some of you this morning uh, sitting in your recliner, uh, being cozy. I mean, it's snowing outside right now, and it's a little bit awkward because I am preaching to a completely empty room uh, right now. But um, we will get through this, and we will meet again together here in this room. I want to remind you this Thursday uh, that we do have a prayer meeting here at the church. We have a team of people uh, ready to sit and pray with you, to talk to you. Uh, You're feeling uh, some fear or anxiety about uh, the coronavirus and all that's going on in our culture right now. 7 p.m. here at the church, but I do want to encourage you, if you're not feeling well, consider staying home uh, from that. Uh, We are not meeting today, um, as I said, because uh, the governor has asked that we would uh, limit Uh, meetings to under 250 people and on a Sunday morning we have well over that here in the building and so this morning from the comfort of your home maybe gathered with neighbors and friends or a discipleship group I want to encourage you we're going to be in Acts uh, chapter 6 and we're also going to hang out for a little bit in Exodus chapter 18 this morning now before we get there there are some things that take place in the course of a church service that we're not going to be able to do this week so I want to remind you of a few things Uh, first is uh, VBS there's quite a bit going on in plans for our VBS Every year, New Hope puts on a a vacation Bible school. It has about 400 kids and about 150 volunteers here on our campus five days uh, in June. I think that's the 8th through the 12th this year. A couple things for you to keep in mind with VBS. One, we are opening up registration for two groups of people. One, volunteers, and we really need volunteers. And so if you're new to our church, understand this is a really big week, a really important week, a wonderful way to get connected. Uh, and you can sign up to register uh, to volunteer uh, on the website. So just jump on to newhopecc.net, and you can register to be a part of VBS this year as a volunteer. And the second thing is registration for participants, for children. And that is open to our church family only right now. Uh, we give you a few weeks to register if you call New Hope your church home before we open it up to the community. Now, because we're not meeting on Sunday morning, the best way for you to do that is to show up here at the church during office hours, Monday to Friday, 8 a.m., uh, or 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., and you can register uh, your child uh, for VBS that way. Just stop by the church office, and then April 1st, we'll open up registration uh, for everybody else. Uh, we're looking forward to getting as many people signed up as we can. Second, during our, our gatherings, we usually take communion together, and I think it's uh, the most important thing we do when we gather, and so now you're in your homes, and I want to encourage you to take communion at some point today with your family and, or your group or whoever you're with. And we're going to put on the website just a link to some scripture you can read and a couple questions you can ask to kind of guide you through that time together. In addition to communion, we usually have a time of offering. And so I just want to make you aware that you can uh, have your offering. Uh, You can turn it in uh, online. You can get on the website and give that way. Or you can mail a check here to the church. Or again, stop in by to register your kid for VBS. You can stop by uh, and do your offering here in person as well. I want to thank you so much for all of that. Now we're going to jump in, but before we do, let me pray for you where you're at and pray for our church uh, over the course of these next few weeks. Let's pray together. Father, you, you are good, even when life is not always good to us. And so we ask you continue to be with medical personnel and staff as they feel overwhelmed and burdened and on the brink of burnout. Be with those who are suffering and are sick. I pray you bring healing. God, I pray you are with um, multiple people, uh, countries, all around the world. Just would you provide peace, Father? And I pray that through this, the church would step up and serve and love and that we would make much of Jesus. And we pray for this in his name. Amen. 
About nine years ago, um, I was uh, the youth minister here at New Hope, and I had a group of middle school kids that I had uh, taken with me and some adult leaders down to Florida for a camp. And I had planned out this entire week with another youth group, and we're down there with all these junior high kids, and I was going to be one of the main teachers in some of the sessions, and the logistics of it, the administration of it, and I mean, it was just a really big week, and it was wearing me down, to be honest with you. Even though going down to Florida, where I'm from, I, I was looking forward to that, but but man, like all the administrative tasks of this week had kind of wore me out. Well, we're on this trip, uh, and one evening I'm on the balcony, and I'm standing out there on the balcony, and um, Don Lamb, who uh, was a then an elder at our church, uh, came up to me on the balcony and said, hey, can we talk for a moment? He'd noticed some patterns in my life, and he decided now was the time to kind of call them out. He had some concerns. And so we, we sat there on the balcony, and through the course of our conversation, it kind of came to a head, and he just said, Rob, I, I need to tell you something. I, I've been around a lot of leaders in my life, and uh, I want you to know that of all the leaders I've ever known, you are by far the worst delegator I've ever met. <laughs> he continued on. He said, you put so much on yourself, man, and you try to get so many other things done, and what's going to happen is, you're going to burn out, but in burning out, you're going to hurt a lot of people as well. And so you really need to get this under control. You need to control this part of you. Little did he know, though, at the same time, my wife had sat me down and began to open up to me as well, shared her heart. See, we had two children at the time. I'd been in ministry at New Hope for two years, but five years total. Uh, and I developed some patterns in ministry. I'd begun to convince myself that certain things required me to do them. And so I would say yes to so many different things. I was gone uh, sometimes four to five evenings a night. There were four to five weeks during the summer I would travel to do things like the camp that I was at with Don. Uh, there was just so many things that I was taking on, and, and my wife said, it's taking a toll on you, but it's taking a toll on us as well. See, the Lord in His grace during that season of my life pointed out some major flaws. Um, you see, Don and Sarah, my wife at the time, they were smoke detectors for me. I'm sure you have these in your home. I hope you have these in your home. You've seen these things. These smoke detectors, they let out a noise. <coughs> and that noise uh, alerts us to a problem. You see, the smoke detector itself isn't the problem. The, the noise isn't necessarily the problem. And in, in fact, they're designed to bring the problem uh, to the front of our minds, bring the problem right in front of us before it becomes a real problem. They point out smoke so that we can get out of the way before the fire brings us harm. You see, burnout for me had become really the, the fire, or the, it had really become the smoke, and the fire was going to be tanking ministry or hurting my marriage or hurting uh, my friendships as well. And Don and Sarah, they were my smoke detectors at that time. I will tell you this, I know it's humorous at times, but Sarah's really been my smoke detector in so many different seasons of my life. Even though she trusts me to put the fires out in our family when the fires are there, she has the ability to see those fires before I do. And she's the smoke detector of our family and in our home. And I've needed that throughout my life. Now, there are situations in Scripture where the same is true of really good leaders throughout the Bible. As a matter of fact, Exodus 18 has one of my favorite stories in the Bible. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. Let me give you a little bit of the background. At this point in history, uh, God's people, um, they had... Uh, been led out of captivity from Egypt. They were slaves for 400 years. And after 400 years in captivity, God rose up a leader named Moses to lead them out of this. And he stepped up to Pharaoh, and uh, the, the leader of the world at the time, and he took on this responsibility through a series of circumstances, and he leads all of God's people to freedom. 
But then he has to lead God's people through 40 years of wandering in the desert. And along the way, uh, the Bible tells us some unique things about Moses. One of the things it tells us in Exodus 33, 11, is that God spoke to Moses very intimately. The text says this. It says, The Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. See, the life of Moses is a really incredible look at what biblical leadership should be. It's an intimate connection to the Lord as he instructs and leads this individual to lead his people to safety. But along the way, it did not come without its difficulties. One of the struggles came in how Moses would approach uh, his role as judge over God's people. God had instructed him to judge and so to make decisions for all the conflict that was taking place in the life of God's people. And they would bring their issues to Moses and Moses would solve them. And more people, more problems. That's the way it uh, began to play out in Moses' life. And so uh, God had given him in detailed instructions on a lot of things. This is what I find really fascinating. God said to Moses, here's the details on the tabernacle. I want you to do these specific things in building the tabernacle. Or if you come over to the law, God said, when it comes to my law, here's uh, the Ten Commandments and the hundreds of other laws, and here's exactly how I want you to do things and prepare animals for sacrifice. Here's all the details that you're to have, and he, he gave him all the details. But when it came to this role, this role of judge, this role of solving the problems of the people, God did not give him any instructions. It's as if he let him kind of work hard. He let him take on this responsibility, and he almost let him burn out to teach him a really valuable lesson. And he did that by sending help. Like I had Don that day on the balcony, and I've had Sarah numerous times in my life. God sent Moses some help. He sent him help in the form of a trusted friend, a wise confidant. Happened to be his father-in-law, Jethro. Moses had Jethro uh, show up. And uh, Exodus chapter 18, verse 6 tells us this. And when he sent word to Moses, he said this, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. I find it fascinating. Moses had so much going on. Jethro identifies as I'm coming with your wife and her children, not your children. And after he arrives, they exchange pleasantries. And then Jethro exercises some real great wisdom as he begins to walk Moses through some of the patterns he's seen. He starts out with doing three things. He, he listens first. Moses, tell me what God's been doing. Tell me what's been going on in your life. And Moses just kind of spills his heart. He has this deep trust for Jethro. Their connection is very obvious, and it's really beautiful. It's really incredible how Jethro just kind of listens and pauses there for a little bit. But after listening to him, he then takes what he heard from Moses, and he step two is he asks some really pointed questions. Hey, why are you leading that way? Why is it that things have to get done that way? And so he, he wants to really fully understand the situation before he ever brings any kind of critique. But then after listening and after gaining more clarity, he shares with them. In verse 17 and 18, it says this. Moses, his father-in-law, said to him, What you're doing, Moses, is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out. You're going to burn out. For the thing that you're carrying is too heavy for you. You're not able to do this work alone. So he just kind of hit it there. Like, Moses, you got this problem. You're going to burn out. It's going to hurt all of God's people. You've got to be careful. And then he speaks to him in verse 24, and he says, I've, I've got some wisdom for you. Consider this. I want you to delegate and hand out some of your responsibilities to multiple different people. I want you to, to break it down this way. You don't have to be doing all of this, and it'll alleviate you and allow you to handle more of the serious moments. It's also going to raise up other people to become leaders among God's people. And verse 24 says this. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law, 
and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all of Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands and hundreds and fifties and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. In any of the really hard cases, they brought to Moses, but the smaller matters they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went to his own country. It's a really easy chapter in the Bible to just kind of read by and just keep going, but it's a vital moment in the life of Moses that taught him a valuable lesson about leadership and about life in general. I got to think, for many of us, we've felt what Moses has felt, not because we had these incredible responsibilities like judging all of God's people, but maybe you are uh, in charge of leading your family, and you feel the pressure to work, to make the money, to pay the bills, or you're the mom who's at home and has all these responsibilities, and you got to uh, make sure the kids have everything that they want, make sure that your husband has everything that he needs, and then you never really get a moment to yourself, and you begin to feel overwhelmed, let alone in a culture where everybody's worried and terrified, and, and rightly so, about this virus. We just kind of feel bogged down. We feel the weight of everything on us. We feel like if something doesn't give way, we're going to burn out. And it's in those moments where God sends us a fire alarm. He says, hey, be careful. You're going to burn out. And before you burn out, I want to help you. This is the same thing that happens in Acts chapter 6 as we continue in the, the book of Acts. We've been studying the first five chapters and we see tremendous growth, explosive growth in the church. I mean, God's doing incredible things as Peter stands up and preaches and 3,000 people are brought to Christ and there's healings and teachings and then they're in prison, then they're released from prison. The, the religious leaders have no idea what to do with this group of people that are so devoted to the message of Jesus. And one of the patterns you see in the first five chapters is the Lord added to their number, the Lord added to their number, the Lord added to their number. Well, in adding to their number, God is saying, you're healthy. I want to trust you with more people to take care of, more people to disciple, more people to lead, uh, to look more and to live more like Jesus. Well, that kind of comes to a head a little bit in chapter six when the administrative responsibilities begin to grow as well. So you have your Bible, Acts chapter six. We're just going to look at seven verses and we're going to pull two things from it and we'll finish up this morning. Uh, Acts chapter six, verse one says this. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So as the story continues, we see a number of Christians growing, and it's not ceasing. It hasn't stopped growing. The church continues to grow. More and more people continue to come to Christ. As a matter of fact, verse 1 tells us that they were increasing in number, and that word is written in such a way that it, this wasn't stopping. It wasn't, it wasn't going to stop growing. Now, as it grew, you had these two different groups of widows among the people, those that were Greek-speaking and those that were Hebrew-speaking. And the complaint is, the fire detector, the smoke detector is, hey, these Greek-speaking widows, they're not being taken care of in the daily distribution of food. The, the, the Hebrew-speaking ones have everything that they need, but, but the, the Greek-speaking do not have what they need. And the word here, neglected, it's written in the imperfect tense in the original language. And all that means is this that this was not a one-time thing that somebody went whining about. This was an ongoing problem. It wasn't just a, a match was lit. It was, no, there's a fire somewhere, and the smoke is rising up completely. Which is, a, it's an interesting situation, though, because why were the Greek-speaking widows even there in Jerusalem at this time? I mean, it makes sense that the Hebrew-speaking ones were. This was their home base. But what about the Greek-speaking ones? Well, they wanted to be there. You see, in Acts chapter 2, you had thousands and thousands of people that had come together for Pentecost. Peter stands up and preaches. 3,000 become Christians. The word begins to spread. And these Greek-speaking people, 
They wanted to be a part of this community. They got connected. They felt loved. They felt cared for. And they wanted to be a part of this community. And so they stayed. And that's what they did. And they stayed. And as they stayed, many of them uh, began to lose their husband or did not have children or lost the son who would take care of them. And now you find yourself with these, these widows that want to be there, but they're not like everybody else. You see, the smoke detector here, the leadership in the church, they're up against a dilemma here for a lot of different reasons. But the smoke detector was not just that they weren't being fed in the daily distribution. The real problem was racism. These people were being mistreated because of who they were. And the apostles now have this dilemma. They have to do something. A decision has to be made. They can't keep up with doing this all on their own. They can't keep up with all of the administrative tasks. The decision had to be made, though. And no doubt the quickest decision for them could have been, you know what, we'll take care of it. We'll just start making sure everybody gets fed. We're going to do this on our own. But that's not what they do. Look at verses 2 through 4. They, they don't say, we'll just do it ourselves to keep the peace. They go a little bit harder than that. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. They've repeated that twice. And you remember, if it's repeated, it's important. They refused to just go back to the status quo. They refused to say, we're just going to take this on by ourselves. And the way they respond implies that many probably thought they were going to do this, and for good reason. You see, in that day and in that culture, um, what would take place is uh, the leadership were the ones who would take care of all the resources, financial and otherwise, and they would distribute the food. They did this for a variety of reasons. One, because you wanted to make sure that your money and your resources were in the hands of the most trustworthy people. And so the leaders just thought, we'll just do this ourselves. And so, yes, the apostles, it would have made sense for them to go and distribute the food to the widows to make sure that everything was done evenly and in a trustworthy manner. The second reason, though, is this. It was customary uh, for the head of the household or the leader of whatever group to stand up and distribute food at a meal. Think about Jesus at the Last Supper. He stands up. He's the one that breaks the bread and passes it out. He takes the cup, blesses it, and passes it out. This is what they would have expected as well. And so for them to propose, we're not going to do this anymore, would have been a radical decision. It would have been like, what, what's going on? Why are we not going to do this? How are you not going to do this? Well, put yourself in their situation just for a minute. The Lord has blessed the church with so many people to take care of. And they cared deeply for these people. And as the more people came, the more administrative responsibility, the more structure that was needed in order to protect the preaching of God's word, they could not keep up in both worlds. They couldn't keep doing what they were doing and also dedicate themselves to discipling the people. And so a decision had to be made. It was a decision that would cost them. It would be painful. It would be different. It was a change to the way they were doing things. But it was necessary for them to protect what they felt the Lord was leading them to. Now get this, they weren't doing this so that they could maximize impact, so that they could uh, attract a whole bunch more people. God had blessed them. The Lord added to their number and added to their number and added to their number. And as God brought them people, their goal was we need to take care of these people. And so in order to take care of these people, we need to make some difficult decisions along the way. Here's the thing, when a church is growing because it's healthy, it requires that church to come up with new ideas, solutions, processes, policies, roles. 
And it's hard, and it can be painful. We've experienced that here at New Hope. God's been blessing us with tremendous growth, and we've had to start having some serious conversations about how do we take care of everybody. We want to make sure they're being discipled. We want to make sure we constantly preach God's word. It's hard, but it's necessary. Can you imagine if the disciples, if the apostles would have said, you know what, no, we're not going to do that. No, we're just going to keep doing what we've always been doing, and it's going to keep working. We're just going to keep serving the tables and making sure we do this on our own. What would have happened then? See, it was vital that they had a decision to make. And instead of sticking their feet in the sand or pointing their finger at somebody uh, for being the real problem, what they did was they exhibit the same qualities that Jethro did. They listened. They had a fire alarm. They had a smoke detector. We got a problem here in the church, and if this isn't handled, it's going to lead to a fire that could cause a lot of harm to God's people. They gathered up all of the information. They came up with a plan. They executed that plan, and that solution cost them meant they had to give up something that they enjoyed doing, that they felt that they've always been the ones that had to do. They maybe had the same feeling that I had during that season of my life where I almost burned out, where I thought these responsibilities require me. And I can't hand these off. But instead, they decided they had to hand these off. And so they gather seven men and they say, we want you to gather people. When you gather these men, bring them to us. Look at verse 5. And what they had said, it pleased the whole gathering. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenius and Nicholas. These men they set before the apostles, and the apostles prayed and laid hands on them. See, they courageously made this decision. It was hard. They bring these men, these men who happened to be Greek, had Greek names, which meant the Greek widows were definitely going to be taken care of moving forward. Everybody seemed to be pleased with this. So the apostles, they lay hands on them and they pray over these leaders. And what that does is it's saying, hey, these guys, they have authority. They've been given authority and responsibility by us. So you can trust them as well. They delegated. It was a beautiful thing. And look at verse 7. It says, and the word of God continued to increase over and over again. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests came obedient to the faith. Because they were willing to make the necessary changes, they allowed themselves to get continue to be healthy so God could continue to increase their number. So they could make sure they didn't sacrifice the preaching of God's word so that when people came underneath their leadership, it was directed by the word of God. It's a beautiful picture of the importance of making sure we don't burn out. Because when we burn out, sometimes we can neglect the most important things. So a couple different takeaways I want to do here. And I know we can't be here in person, but I want to really stress two takeaways. One, for our church family here at New Hope Christian Church. What what is the takeaway for us as a church family? And then I want to issue you a question that you might wrestle with this week as you take this away. You know, we've done the head, heart, and the hand. You understand what this is saying, and you want to make a change. Well, here's a question that I want to leave you with here in a moment that you can wrestle with as you want to apply this text to your life. The first, though, let's start as a growing church family. The big takeaway is we need to do whatever is necessary to stay devoted to the preaching and teaching of God's word and to prayer. See, the apostles make it clear that the structure that they put in place was important because they could not slow down or impede or stop the teaching of God's word. Notice that they never even entertained the idea of going into the food distribution business. They never said, you know what, maybe we should stop teaching and preaching so we can make sure everybody gets fed. They they don't even entertain that thought. They knew that the food did need to be distributed, 
But with the amount of people showing up, they couldn't be the ones to do it anymore because we have been given this charge to preach and teach the word of God. And so we need other people to do this. Look, it might be like a really easy thing. You might think to yourself, well, anybody could have done that, right? And so it's really important. But culturally, this was a sacrificial decision for them. Serving the food was not just like us saying, hey, anybody can serve a table. For them, it had cultural significance. So this was a costly thing. So if a church is going to be healthy, they need to do whatever is necessary to protect the word of God. And as a church grows, it becomes increasingly harder for the same individuals to do the same work. Sometimes we convince ourselves, no, we can just keep doing what we've been doing, and it's the same thing always. But no, more people show up, the more people need to be taken care of. That's why it's imperative if a church is going to stay healthy, they need to have a healthy culture of serving. They need people to show up and to serve. When they have a VBS, they need new people that have shown up to say, I will be a part of that. When we go out and we serve other people in the community, I will be a part of that. When we have the mountain house, people say, I want to be a part of that. All these other opportunities, we need as many people as possible to engage in serving so that the same people aren't the only ones doing it. And we protect God's word being preached and taught. There's no job in the church that's insignificant. Not a single one of them. This is why the apostles did not do away with the food distribution. They didn't go into food, di- food distribution, but they didn't discard it either. So that's a really important thing. and We need re- people that are qualified. Here's what's fascinating. They said one of the requirements for you to do the distribution of food is that you're filled with the Spirit. Why would they do that? I mean, if it's just passing out food, who cares? I think that the requirement was that they were filled with the Holy Spirit because it was never only about distributing food that the simplest act of service when done by a Holy Spirit-filled person, by a Christian, by someone who has given their life to Jesus, the simplest act of service is ministry. It's what's unique about the church, is that when we step into areas, we have something that the rest of the world doesn't have to offer, and so it's never only about serving tables. It's about ministry work. So, all of that being said, I can assure you, that our church will never, no matter what, sacrifice the preaching of God's word, the opening of the Bible, the reading, the teaching and understanding of his word. We will never sacrifice stopping to pray and to seek his guidance as a church. But along the way, in order to protect those things, we may need to make decisions that are hard, difficult. We may need to change some things that we've always done because we want to make sure that we continue to get this to all the people the Lord has blessed us with. All that to say, right now we are actually praying through what is next for us as a church. By God's grace, we've reduced our debt. We want to continue to pay it off and be done, but it has been reduced drastically, which enables us to begin to plan about what do we do next. God's blessed our church with so many new people. And we want to make sure that when you come to New Hope, you feel like you can be known and you can be a part of this family. And so we need to make sure that we're making the decisions that can allow people to feel that while at the same time they're constantly hearing the word of God. Now, as a follower of Jesus, what's one thing you can take away from a text like this? It's a question that I ask myself consistently. I would challenge you to begin to really think about this in your life because this is a really hard area. And the question's simple. It's this. Who's your Jethro? Who's the person in your life who you've given permission to to help you identify the blind spots that have developed? It's not easy. I understand that. I mean, it's never pleasant in the middle of the night when you (coughs) hear that noise go off. But aren't you grateful when it does? See, a smoke detector, a person who has the eyes to see and the ears to hear, 
into our spiritual lives can really save us from a lot of damage. I want to close out this way by telling you that I am grateful to God. I've reflected a lot this week for the privilege of being one of the pastors here at New Hope. I have thanked God all week for a church that loves, that eats up the word of God. I am grateful that I am one of the people that gets the opportunity to preach and to teach God's word to you. I am thankful for a group of people that are willing. I mean, we are standing on the shoulders of so much sacrifice and service through the history of this great church. And I'm thankful for those of you that have jumped in and said, I want to be a part of this. I've thanked God for a church that has given financially, sacrificially, to enable us to do work all around the world, here in our community and all around the world. I am thankful to God for a church that loves so well. And I thank God that this virus will lose and that we will meet together in this room again. And it won't be so awkward for me preaching in an empty room here. But I also thank God that though we are in separate rooms this morning, spread out all over the place, that we are united as one family because of Jesus. We'll see you soon, New Hope.